Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, March 11th. We begin with a look at employee rights during the novel coronavirus outbreak. We speak with a labour lawyer on what protections, if any, you have in the workplace during this tumultuous time. Next, we get details on a new study from the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Calgary, which calls into question the effectiveness of using probiotics for better health. The findings may surprise you. Then we catch up with the nature doctor, Axel Morenschlager, the Calgary Zoo's director of conservation and science. This time out, we're focusing on the impact humans have on gorillas and hear the tale of wild cats making bad decisions. And finally, longtime Calgary broadcaster and former Morning News host Gord Gillies pops by with a story that spans over 50 years and features rock and roll royalty. You won't want to miss hearing about Gord's one-of-a-kind online auction item. 812 on the morning news on 770 CHQR. The spread of COVID-19 or coronavirus has Canadians wondering about their rights in the workforce. When employees are asked or told to stay home over fear someone in the midst might be sick, do they have to? We're asking a litigator with a Calgary law firm at DBH, Lee Sands, this morning. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. So uh, what if employees can't afford to take a time off of work but are forced to or need to? Uh, do they have to or must they leave the office? Well, this is where it gets really tricky because nobody wants to spread this virus. Nobody wants to be sick. But again, we all have jobs and we all have bills to pay and there's mm-hmm. a reason that we go to work. And so it was really interesting timing of our discussion this morning because the government actually just announced that they are removing the one-week waiting period for e because of the COVID right. crisis. So now if you have to take time off work, uh, specifically for COVID, the waiting period for EI has been removed. Before you would have to wait at least a week. Now it's zero days. Um, The announcement this morning didn't discuss the medical certificate that's usually required. And so uh, waiting with bated breath to see how they approach that. Because when SARS happened in 2003, they actually removed that requirement as well because they didn't want to send everyone running to their doctor's office. Uh, just to get sick. So um, waiting to see the details on that, given this morning's announcement. But at this point, uh, that's great support for everyone who may need to feel safe, mm-hmm. take time off. Um, can, can they force you to stay home, though? I mean, in, in self-isolation, if you're not specifically sick? I mean, if someone's, say, a, a server in a restaurant, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they can't specifically force you to take time off but everyone needs to be acting reasonable right now Mm -hmm. so um that's kind of the thing is if they might want you to take time off because somebody in your workplace has been infected or is in quarantine because they've come into contact with someone with it so i think this is also one of those occasions where common sense needs to rule the day a little bit Mm -hmm. and um you know if you've been traveling on a plane you don't know who you've come in contact with and so um you know let's all have a little bit of common sense and they're saying um you know we want to flatten that bell curve and do all steps that we can slow the spread uh, so that it's less taxing on the um, health system. Well, legally, Lee, uh, can you be personally uh, liable if you don't self-quarantine? Um, personally liable, in I don't think there's anything in employment law about personally liable for spreading a virus. Okay. Um, in terms of quarantine and everything, 
after the 2003 outbreak, a lot of the employment legislation was rewritten to add quarantine as an option for unpaid leave time. So there's provisions in Alberta's Employment Standards Act that allows um, employees to take up to 16 weeks off unpaid, and it includes quarantine as one of the reasons to need to take unpaid time off. And then from there, you would look to the EI system to keep a, a minimum income going. Because that was a concern that we heard from a, a texter, in fact, was, you know, I have so many sick days allowed at work. I'm not sick, but they've forced me to stay home. So now I'm having to use up all my sick days. What if I get sick later and I don't have any sick days left? Yeah, so this is where under the legislation there is that provision for quarantine leave. It's unpaid leave, so you would need to um, follow the rules for that. It involves a metal certificate as well, so if you're being quarantined, talk to your doctor's office, see what they're going to do for you in that regard, and then you can take unpaid time off, and that qualifies you for the EI leave, such that while the EI payment isn't enormous it should be enough to hopefully get most individuals through something like this okay because i think the current benefit is around 540 dollars a week something like that thank you very much for your time this morning and again is still developing particularly with the federal government announcement this morning so kind of a moving target we appreciate uh, your input this morning no problem happy to help that is lee sands a lawyer with the law firm dbh in health and wellness for years now, probiotics. But should we use a supplement for our children? Dr. Stephen Friedman is a professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Calgary, and he has published an article on the topic titled The Probiotic Conundrum, Regulatory Confusion, Conflicting Studies, and Safety Concerns. Good morning, Dr. Friedman. Hi, good morning. So what spurned this study? So this was actually um, something that's emerged after looking at a lot of the literature and seeing the publications as well as the commercialization of probiotics and it made us really, myself and my, my collaborators on this article, really take a, a step back and say let's have a look at what is really driving the perceptions of physicians, what's driving the perceptions of the public um, and are these perhaps a little bit misguided based on where the evidence is nowadays. What should we know about a probiotic? Well, I mean, probiotics at their, their the core, you know, the definition of a probiotic is that these are live organisms, microbial organisms that are beneficial to the host. That's how kind of the, the medical community, the industry views um, how we classify something as a probiotic or not. Um, but the question is, is what is labeled a probiotic that you see at the grocery store, at the nutrition store, are those actually probiotics? That's where actually there isn't really a direct connection between what we call them as a group in theory versus what you actually pick up at the store. So how much research has been done on the supplement to this point? Has there been enough? Oh, there's been tons of research. Many, many studies going back uh, 20, 30 years is really where the research started to, to grow. The issue is not so much about how many studies were done. And actually, a lot more research was done, I will say, more 10 and 20 years ago than is being done nowadays. So nowadays, there's very few clinical trials being done on probiotics. So a lot of what is extrapolated is based on research done 10, 20 years ago. And unfortunately, though, a lot of that research was... Um, 
relatively poor quality, small sample sizes, um, and not really up to the standards that we would consider and require uh, for regulatory approval of what we would routinely view as a quote-unquote drug. So when we talk about probiotics and using them to treat indications, so to treat or prevent disease, actually they're not really um, marketed that way because they haven't been approved right from a regulatory point of view, for the vast majority of them, for medical indications, particularly in the United States. In Canada, we do have a few of those, but in the United States, there has not yet been a probiotic approved by the Food and Drug Administration to treat a disease. So does that relate then to what you've written in your article about the safety concerns? Are there concerns we need to be aware of? Well, the article focused on a couple of things. It focused primarily on what is the evidence to support their use. Um, and, you know, when we actually look at it in a lot of detail, there are a lot of concerns. And the evidence to support the use is very weak at best uh, for the vast majority of indications to non-existent for, for many of them. Um, but then what makes this topic important to me is that when you look at things where there's not much evidence to support use, okay, what's the downside? Well, the number one downside is obviously there's cost, so they don't, they're not free. Um, and if they are promoted to be used every day to um, achieve aims that we don't have evidence they can do, such as improving intestinal health, because we don't have any evidence that they improve your intestinal health or microbial balance, which are mm. terms that stem from uh, the probiotic industry without evidence to support them, are there also potential medical downsides? And the answer is yes. Um, for the vast majority of people taking them, very, very, very safe. However, there are subsets of individuals who are at risk for complications from taking probiotics. These are generally medically fragile individuals, individuals who are on chemotherapy, who are immunocompromised, who have um, central catheters or lines that stay in their body to give medication on a chronic basis. Doctor, to put it in you know, plain language, when should we take a probiotic, adult or kid? Well, I don't routinely recommend probiotics for any indications. So there's really no evidence that these will improve or prevent any disease, um, and they're not marketed as such. Um, in terms of what about for medical indications, really there are very few where they're approved or there are, is good evidence to support their use. So in a nutshell, I don't recommend them routinely for anybody at this point in time. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much, and have a great day. Dr. Stephen Friedman is in a pediatrics at the University of Calgary. That's yeah. kind of crazy. Interesting, isn't it? And I mean, probiotics, they're not cheap. So that's a lot of money that's being spent on that with really not much proof that it does anything good or, or bad for that matter. Lots, yeah, as he mentioned, there have been a lot of studies, but he does not feel like we know enough at this mm -hmm. point. And the marketing machine and known as uh, natural foods or of those supplements, uh, kind of a big deal. And particularly if you're a parent and you're told your child should have probiotics. Right. And vitamins, same for that matter. I mean, really, there's you give me a hard time about lots my of studies that say vitamins really yeah. do nothing, that you get enough from yeah. the majority of us, get enough from our food intake and that sort of thing. Being in the know, particularly when it's something and not brand new. We've talked about pro probiotics for a handful of years, but still... Uh, we talked earlier about uh, keeping things clean uh, mm -hmm. because uh, some cleaning products in the short supply and also hand sani. Good luck finding it. Yeah. Or the price gouging <laughs> surrounding impossible. it. Well, you know, Debbie, who uh, listens a lot. Hi, Debbie. Hope you're having a great day. Says, morning, uh, Sue and Andrew. Vinegar as well will That's help. True. We mentioned, yep. you know, mixing the bleach 
and uh, keeping things clean at home always a good idea not only if uh, COVID-19 is in the headlines but uh, making sure those surfaces that you use frequently are clean and your little germ carriers are clean I germ machines yeah you call them. <laughs> exactly my son comes home I'm always oh did you wash your wash your hands did you wash your hands I ask him he comes out of the bathroom yeah with water uh what temperature was water cold did you use soap no back in like how how many times do you i can't even imagine how many times my mother told the four kids go and wash your hands yeah because i'm seeing it i'm living reliving it myself do you have to tell your kids to wash their hands <laughs> we play a game when we're and i hope the kids aren't listening let's be honest they're, they're still asleep yeah. my wife and i will sit in the living room when one of the kids is in the bathroom we'll hear the toilet flush and then there's no sink so you play the game and is, wash or no wash sometimes they come out yeah. do you wash your hands yep mm-hmm. oh okay so if i check the sink will it be dry <laughs> Oh, no, I, I just forgot this time. Uh, and then they run back in. But it, it's yeah. kind of hard to bluff because you can hear that water running. Yeah, pretty much. Come and on. You are supposed teens. to sing happy birthday while you're washing with hot, warm water and soap. And, uh, you know, make sure you're doing it for long enough that you're actually doing a cleaning job. But, you know, I, I think that also, like and I tell my wife this, not only is it uh, that... Uh, preteen and teen forgetfulness they're just so busy they you don't have they that twi- who has 20 seconds Nobody. to wash your hands when you're they've got stuff 14. to do have the pleasure of being joined this morning by dr axel morenschlager the calgary zoo's director of conservation and science we like to refer to him as the nature doctor and he's just back from an amazing trip he joins us now hi axel Morning. Thanks so much for uh, joining us this morning. I know you've given us a, a weird little kind of line to tease us about what you're going to talk about. How to stop curiosity from killing the cat <laughs> and gorillas too. Huh. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever heard about situations where one might be really attracted to someone who's actually not very good for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And okay. they've done that. They've written a book about me yeah. when it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, they say that uh, curiosity killed the cat. And in Scotland, this is what is happening more and more. What it's about is the Scottish wild cat, which is the only remaining wild member of the cat family uh, left in the United Kingdom. And they're just this beautiful small cat that walks through the Scottish Highlands and was probably skirting back and forth, you know, among the Highlanders like William Wallace of Braveheart at one time. But unfortunately, now there's fewer than 200 of them left. And, and those 200 have trouble finding each other as they spread out across that landscape. Oh. And yeah, so you can imagine... It's a tragic that, love story. Yeah, it, they get pretty lonely. So when you... And, s- but when you say wild cats, I want to have a picture in my mind. Do they look like a house cat or do they look more like a bobcat? Yeah, they, they actually look a lot like a house cat. And this is, this is part of the trouble. And, uh, and so part of the trouble here is that when, you're, when there's not many of you and, and you know, you're looking for some mates but you can't find them, you might just settle for second best. <laughs> and, and other potential mates might start to look pretty attractive even if they're bad for you. And and so for them, it's kind of a fatal attraction. So um, these mates, actually, that they're attracted to are actually feral domestic cats um, that are just roaming around, you know, and or that are close to human habitation, but generally that aren't cared for and that are just roaming. And one of the bad things about them is that they carry various diseases. And one of them is actually the cat equivalent of HIV called FIV or feline immunodeficiency virus. Um, but there's other ones too. So, so basically by coming into contact with them, you might contract disease. The other problem is that if a Scottish wildcat 
gets together with a domestic feral cat and has babies, those babies are not Scottish wildcats anymore. Right, right? so you're, you're, the line is coming to an end. So what, what is the zoo or what are you and your people around the world doing to stop that? Yeah, so basically I became aware of the situation in 2017 when together with other leaders from the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, I was running a training course in London for governments, academics and conservation organizations. And as part of that, I workshopped a group of the major stakeholders from Scotland on Scottish wildcat. And uh, what's happened is that since then I've become I'm part of a technical advisory committee and also been using our reputation through Calgary Zoo and through the IUCN to write support letters. And so I had meetings in Scotland when I was there because that's been actually very successful. They've just received 3.2 million euros, so basically over $5 million uh, from the European or, uh, or the Council of Europe to help on a, on a bunch of things. One of them is to start a breeding program incorporating... Dr. Marnschlager, uh, just to, we're going to take a quick pause for some breaking news. We hope to join you again in a minute or two. Now on Global News Radio, 770 CHQR. I'm Tony King. 68-year-old Harvey Weinstein has been sentenced to 23 years in prison for rape and sexual assault. A sight the Hollywood mogul's multitude of accusers thought they would never see. Weinstein has been accused of violating scores of women and was convicted last month of raping a woman in a New York City hotel room in 2013 and sexually assaulting another woman at his apartment in 2006. He faced a maximum of 29 years in prison. The defense, though, was seeking a minimum of four years, citing his age and frail health. Stay with 770 CHQR for further details as they unfold. From Global News, I'm Tony Kang. And we're joined uh, still by Dr. Axel Morenschlager from the Calgary Zoo. Sorry about that, Axel. We were talking about the Scottish cats, and it looks like you and your fellow conservationists are really helping to make sure that those, the, the last few remaining in that population are, are, are still here. Yeah, so basically what they're doing is they're bringing in cats from Europe. Uh, to, to actually help on their genetic purity. They're studying a very intensive conservation breeding program. They also, in the wild and with local people, are, have a trap, neuter, vaccinate release program aimed at the feral cats. And then uh, we're working towards releases into suitable areas in Scotland as of 2022. So this is the way that, you know, we're trying to protect Scottish wildcats from resisting their fatal curiosity. Mm. But this was just one of the things that we were dealing with, the Scottish wildcat. There's another thing that I was going there for, and that's in, in terms of my role as a board trustee for the St. Andrew's Prize for the Environment, one of the most prestigious environmental prizes in the world. And this is where we come to gorillas. Yes. So, now here in Calgary, people are sometimes annoyed because of some unwanted wildlife in their backyard. You know, maybe the squirrels are are eating all of your bird seed or something like that. You know, it's very annoying. Mm -hmm. Now imagine that you've got mountain gorillas in your backyard (laughs) where you grow your vegetables. And actually you keep half of your kids home so that their job is to chase away the gorillas. You're kidding. No yeah. way. <laughs> this is where curiosity by gorillas is actually bad for everybody. And, and this is a situation in Uganda where there are some of the last remaining populations of this incredibly endangered mountain gorilla. Mountain gorillas are the big ones, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so uh, what local researchers there from local institutions figured out some time ago, about 15 years ago, is that 
gorillas were dying of a skin disease called scabies, which is something that humans get and wow. is transmitted through little mites. And so the way that they were contracting it is they were actually coming to, close to people into these garden areas, and they were getting sick from the sicknesses of people. So what Conservation Through Public Health did is they've actually put in place programs to improve the health of the local people and to decrease disease transmission between humans and gorillas. At the same time as improving the local livelihood by creating employment with ecotourism and being able to cordon off these garden areas in a way that the gorillas don't invade them. And it's really quite amazing, you know, what, what's been done because what's basically resulted in is that families are in better health. One of the things is that they didn't have sufficient family planning. The families wanted more. So there were only about 20% of families that could do family planning. So the, the populations of people getting bigger and everything like that, they couldn't support it. Now it's about 70%. Now, also, the kids are no longer in the backyard, mm -hmm. literally being kept home from school. So and it's a win-win for everybody, really. Right. And then the populations of the gorillas mm -hmm. have actually dramatically increased, um, you know, which has resulted in a much improved status of the gorillas there. So awesome. together with other uh, trustees, you know, for the St. Andrew's Prize for the Environment, we had the top three contenders, mm -hmm. conservation through public health, were the winners, and they were awarded a hundred thousand U.S. Excellent. And then, most importantly, the prestige that will basically put them on the world stage now. A real example to others. Good work, yeah. Axel. You're making Good a work. difference and some awareness. We have to leave it there for now. Thank you for your time this morning, Dr. Axel. Thank you. Thanks to you guys and all the supporters that help us get into these positions. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is Dr. Axel Morenschlager, the Calgary Zoo's director of conservation and science. No. 7.09 on the morning news. Oh, this is awesome to have our good friend Gord Gillies back in studio. And this is a fascinating story. Mm -hmm. a scenario we all dream about. Someone leaves you something valuable in their will. Well, that's a case for Gord after his father passed away. And he's here to share this story with us. I had no idea, and I've known you uh, for the 25 years plus, <laughs> that you had this rock and roll connection, Gord. This is incredible, this story. Gord Gillies exudes rock and roll. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. It's, Hi, by the way. Good to see Welcome you both. Back. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, I, I'm, I'm so thank. first of all, thank you for having me in. We're happy um, you're I'm here. on my way to Costco to get in line. This is the earliest you've been so up it, in months. You get us a couple of packs each. <laughs> I will uh, save you some toilet paper. <laughs> thank you. It is a crazy story. And... Um, uh, some of the listeners may remember about a year and a half ago, I talked about the passing of my father. Mm -hmm. um, he was estranged to our family, so I didn't really know Bob Gillies. I knew of his story. He was a rock and roll DJ in the 60s in Montreal, and he went to the U.S. and was very successful there. So I had some background. And then I kind of had, as he was in hospice on his deathbed, another connection with him. We talked a couple of times, just to fill in a few of the blanks. But... Uh, Six months after he passes away, um, I get this delivery from Atlanta from a friend of his, a bunch of his stuff. This is some of your dad's possessions. He thought you might like them, and, and this will be neat. And amongst them was this poster, a Rolling Stones poster from the Maurice Richard Arena, Friday, April 23rd, 8.30 p.m. It's the original band, so it's a Bill Wyman. You've got uh, Joe, Brian Jones, wow. you've got Mick Keith. And, and what Charlie. year would it have been yeah. from? So this is 1965. 65, okay. It was beat up pretty good. Yep. It was attached to a hard backing, so I stuck it behind a bunch of uh, you know, clothes <laughs> or something. Not really thinking anything of it, right? I thought, that's neat, you know, cool. 
when you're retired, you have time to do things like this. <laughs> you, I took a picture of it and sent it to a memorabilia place in the UK, thinking, is this of value to anybody? Mm-hmm. The next morning, I had an offer of $7,000 Canadian. You're kidding. The next morning. The next morning. So you know if wow. they're on one place. it. So I went, holy moly, what have I got here? And I started to do some research on it. And it turns out that this was the very first ever concert the Rolling Stones did in Canada. 1965, it was the launch of their first ever North American tour. My father was the producer, co-producer of the show. At that time, he worked for CKGM, Mm -hmm. which was just getting into the British invasion and rock and roll and all that. So this was a big coup. The Stones were just becoming famous. The Beatles were already taking on the world. Uh, A month after this concert, they would release Satisfaction, which would, of course, launch them to the stratosphere. So anyway, I'm learning more and more about this poster, and I fire off a few more pictures to auction houses. And the more I do this, the more interest I get. And literally everyone I've sent this to says that is a really cool find. So now I'm in the process of seeing what's what going to happen. Get. Wow. One of the auction houses, I've had another offer of 9000 U.S., just sight unseen, just we'll cut you the check and away you go. Mm-hmm. Um, this auction house, though, that really wanted to uh, auction it off said they've done some research and they found another poster like it that was on display back last year in a big rock and roll touring production that was at the Met in New York at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Because you thought this was a one of a kind. I thought this was a one of a kind. So when they come back, when I got an email about that, I thought, oh, no, this is not going to be as valuable as I thought. Turns out, though, the fact that you have a story connected to it, legend is my father went and partied with the Stones after this concert, took them through Montreal, had a big fun partying, and Bill Wyman wrote a book in 1997 about his first 10 years with the group talks about partying with Bob Gillies in Montreal, blah, blah, blah. So there's a, there's layers to the story that's pretty good. And so it just makes the, the poster more and more valuable, despite I the guess. fact that it's not in, in great condition. I guess. It's not in great condition. It had been folded up and stored. Um, the copy I brought in for you guys to look at is a print that looks really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I contacted the National Music Centre, uh, Bell Studio, and thought, let's find out what uh, they think of it. Uh-huh. They would love to put it on display. They've got their Rolling Stones traveling right. recording. Yeah, yeah. Bus, oh, yeah. right? Yep. So I've dropped a copy off to them. I think they're going to display it and they may, if it doesn't sell, yep. whatever, I have no idea. If it doesn't sell, then I might give them the original to put on display there for sure too. But the auction house thinks it's worth twelve to $15,000 wow. US. Wow. US. Poster, US. Little poster that rolled in onto my lap. That's fantastic. And it's got this crazy story attached to it that uh, that has been wild. Just Fr- so from wild. From a dad that you didn't know, really. Didn't know he, didn't, he didn't grow up with him. No, nope, Didn't know the story. Um, a year and a half ago when we reconnected, uh, mm. he had told me to read uh, a story about him, a chapter in a book on rock and roll radio in the 60s in Montreal. And I learned more about him reading that than I had most of my life. I'd only met him a couple of times. No hard feelings. It was mm-hmm. like there was never animosity. It's what you knew. In yes. the family. It's, you know, we, what you know. You don't know what you don't know, right? And so this arrived and <laughs> all of a sudden... No. Um, Cha-ching! Well, everybody says that it's... It's the one group said it's beat up, I'd say three to five thousand pounds um, and others saying it could go higher. And then, But everyone I've contacted said... 
you never know with collectors. There's a value right, yeah. It could be, it could go could crazy. Go. Well, you've so, got a couple of texts coming in. Uh, someone saying, why don't you take it on Pawn Stars? Ah, uh, could be, TV yeah. TV show. And then someone else saying, why doesn't Gord just keep it and then pass it to his kids? Hey, this is a huge debate we've had in the family. I bet. Believe me. I bet. And this is a keepsake. It's a keepsake and a family keepsake that's no connection to the family. So we've by made name you only, the, really, by right? name. But you'll have the story. The kids totally. will always have the story. You've made copies for every you family member. You can photocopy member. the check as well when they send you that. <laughs> you know what? In, in all honesty, I have no idea. If it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but that's a great question. And we did have a great, vigorous family debate on it. Um, I've got some really, as you've seen here, what I brought in, really cool copies. So everybody in the family is going to get one. And if we do get a few bucks for it, we're all going to go do something really cool. So we're going to do a nice family yeah, thing together. Nice. So you're not going to hoard the money uh, and well, go buy no, toilet paper. By coming and <laughs> joining you now, um, he you know what? It, yeah, it, it's out there. Um, so you know what? It's it's a fun little thing. We'll see what happens. It goes. It's an online auction May seventh. Uh, out of Boston, RR Auctions, and and we'll find out. I mean, this little thing landed in my lap. It, it's a story that it's a great uh, another, story. Another if chapter else. keeps opening. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool little story. If the original ends up at the Music Center, uh, you know, downtown, I'm a happy camper too. We but shall see. We're gonna have to catch up with you first of all after the auction May seventh. Mm-hmm. We we're gonna have a picture on our uh, Twitter Twitterverse. Yes, we will. Of what the picture looks like, what yeah. the poster looks like. Uh, but also, are you? Uh, this is an encouragement to anybody who has anything at home that might be. A value because you were just kicking it around. You read these stories all the time. Somebody went up to the attic exactly, and Grandpa had yeah. a Honus Wagner baseball card <laughs> and it's worth $10 billion, right? And and this thing, I literally stuck it in the closet and thought, I wonder if there's worth anything. And you just never know. Especially so, when it's in bad shape, you just think, well, oh, I mean, it's not going to, it's, it's too bad it's not pristine. I might get a few bucks for it, yeah. but you just never know. Great story. Can, can you come back and, I'll and update us? I'll let you know us? what happens. And if it's a good day, then I'll bring uh, I'll bring Glamorgan cheese funds, <laughs> oh, the full price. Gord will be in it. Apparently you've said that a lot, but never delivered, according to Sue. That's apparently the case. Well, it's a pleasure having you, Gord Gillies. It's weird sitting between the two of you. I've got uh, Christmas past over there and Christmas future (laughs) over on this side. Well, little birds telling me about your rating, so congratulations (laughs) to you. Well, thank you very much. We should do rock, paper, scissors and see who gets to go home. (laughs) Okay, yeah, Gord, can you finish the show? We're out of here. I'm going to pick up some toilet paper. Costco's calling. Thank you, Gord Gillies, for joining us. Thanks, guys.